Acts chapter 24. As you see from your notes, we're going to actually cover all of 24, all of 25, and just a sliver of chapter 26. A long narrative today. And so we're going to endeavor to read this, all, all these verses. And so follow along, and then we'll discuss them afterwards. So in your Bibles, Acts chapter 24, verse 1. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullius. And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of, this, of the way, which, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and men. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonial, ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it is this one that I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, 
But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up to Caesarea, from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. So some of your leaders, so some, let some of your leaders come with me, and if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges against him there. After spending eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day, he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrongs to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar, so to Caesar you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, There is a man here from whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought, against, brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they have faced their accusers and have had an opportunity to, de to defend themselves against the charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. But when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, tomorrow you will hear him. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not live any longer. I found that he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you 
and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. And that's where we're going to stop, because I want to spend some time on what he says to Agrippa. So we have a lot of narrative covering uh, several verses, more than a chapter, um, actually more than two chapters. And, and so there's a lot of reminders of what we've already talked about. There's a couple of new things. So I want to work through the text really quickly. Just want to point out some things. That'll be the, the first page of your notes. So number one basically covers Acts chapter 24. It's 27 verses long. And, and the title of, of number one, uh, Paul was held in custody by Felix for a little over two years. I want you to get the, the extent of that. For two years, he's being held. Now, he's, he's under guard with privileges, so it's not, it's not the worst situation, but he is unable to come and go as he pleases, and this lasts for two years. So we have a time frame. The two-year time frame gives us flavor for how Paul handles it, give us, gives us context for all the things that are going on, and, and gives us some insight later into what God is doing. So Paul is held in custody by Felix for over two years. During that two-year period of time, A, Felix apparently found no merit in the Jewish accusation. If Felix found merit, if Felix agreed with them that he deserved to die, he probably wouldn't have wasted any time in killing him. He would have sentenced him, and he would have executed him. But Felix saw no grounds for Paul to be executed. He really saw no grounds for Paul to be held, but he had other motives. Maybe a, a little bit of entertainment because he and his wife liked to listen, but more so, as mentioned in the passage, he was looking for a bribe. Okay? It was, it was more of a political thing. We'll talk about that. B, Felix and his wife Drusilla listened to Paul speak about the faith in Christ Jesus several times. We don't know what several means. Uh, I would say it's definitely more than three or four. If he was called up every three months, then in two years' time, he could speak before them eight times. So you, you can kind of make your own guess there. We're not told, but it's several times. And each time, Paul talked about faith in Christ Jesus, or he shared the gospel. So we know that during that two years, Paul relentlessly shared the gospel with Felix to the point where, see, Felix was afraid. Felix was afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid that maybe his religion wasn't right. Afraid that maybe Paul was true and he was a sinner that needed forgiveness. Afraid that Paul was right, that there is an afterlife and you spend eternity in either heaven or hell and that without Christ, it's hell. So he was afraid. The conversation made him nervous. The conversation made him think about things he didn't want to think about. But he was able to overcome those fears because his greater purpose in bringing Paul back to talk was that he figured eventually Paul or his friends would come up with a way for, for him to offer a bribe. 
and he was more interested in the bribe money than he was interested in the message. So there's a, a little bit of interest, more so in a political maneuver. D in your notes, this is not really from Scripture, but this is from history, but we find mention of the replacement. So D, Felix is fired. That's what we would call it, that he was replaced. Felix was fired and replaced by Festus because the people complained to Rome about corruption. So the, the history side of it matches the Bible side of it. The Bible says he was seeking a bribe. That's corruption. If that's all he ever did, if Paul was his only target, then probably not much would have been said about it. But apparently this is how he worked, worked the system. This is how he led. He was seeking personal gain through his appointment. And the people complained enough to Rome that he was replaced. So Felix was fired. And then E, as a favor to the Jews, Felix left Paul where he was in prison. Why would he do a favor for the Jews? Well, one, his wife was Jewish, so he had a connection. There was a decent chance that one day he would live in retirement among the Jews. And it was just good political sense to leave people with something they could be happy about than leave people angry with you. So the, as a favor to the Jews, that was a political move. Paul left him in prison. So Felix could have said, well, as I leave, I need to, I need to kind of clear the books. I need, to, I need to finish the things I started, and, and there's no merit for Paul being here, so I'm going to let him go. But he didn't. He left him in prison. And then F, we know that in prison for the entire two years and, and a little bit more, Paul was under guard, meaning there was somebody watching him. There was someone who he answered to. We don't know to what extent that was. But he was allowed some freedom. Again, we don't know what some freedom means. We know that his friends were able to come and go, and that's the rest of it. Uh, in prison, Paul was under guard, but was also allowed some freedom, as well as to receive care from his friends. So the extent of the freedom may have been that he could interact with his friends. He could send them notes saying, this is what I need, and they could provide it. They, they might have given him paper to write letters, food, food to, to sustain himself, uh, you know, extra clothes, sheets for the bed, things like that. His friends were able to take care of him. And it's good to know that Paul has friends. You'd think the entire city's against him. But the, the friends are there, the, his people that he's been working with, you might call them his disciples. His friends are there, and, and they have this freedom. So it's not as bad as it could be, but he's not free to come and go as he pleases. So in this chapter, under Felix... We have Felix being curious but not convinced. He's curious about Jesus, but he's not convinced enough to follow him. He's, he's more interested in seeking personal gain. So that's chapter 24. Number two is, is basically chapter 25. It's the first 22 verses. Festus comes in. He's newly appointed. He seems to be uh, more of an upright leader following the rules, seeking to do things the right way. And so what do we know about Festus and when, when he was there with Paul? Um, a, Festus did not allow Paul to be set up for an ambush again. I wonder if these are the same guys who said last week, we will not eat or sleep until Paul is dead. Maybe they're getting hungry and, and tired. Uh, and they're not going to eat or drink is actually what they said. So they're getting hungry and thirsty. And, and so they're, they're back on this, this new plan. It's the old plan revisited. Uh, if they can get Paul transferred, 
while he's traveling, they'll ambush and kill him. That did not happen. I don't think Festus intentionally thwarted the plot, but God didn't allow that to happen, so that was under Festus' command. B, the Jews failed again to prove any of their charges to be valid. Uh, Festus immediately realized these charges are invalid. There's no actual charges for him to rule on. It's a religious dispute. He's familiar with the way, so he's, he's, not, he's not too surprised about anything. But the Jews failed. They have continuously failed. They keep bringing charges. They keep trying to kill Paul, but they continually fail because they don't really have anything to talk about once they get there. All they have is things to scream about while no one's actually listening. And then C, Festus tried to pass Paul back to the Jews in Jerusalem. And again, as a favor to the Jews or in a political move. Like, I'm going to be here for a while. I need these people to be on my side. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass him back. He, I don't have anything to do here. I'm going to try to pass him back to the Jewish people. Let them deal with it. I'll be supportive of them. And of course, D, Paul appealed to Caesar. And Festus agreed. So that's most of chapter 25. And then the end of 25 and the beginning of 26, that's number three in your notes, King Agrippa arrived. And it's interesting, Festus asked for help in writing up charges to Caesar regarding Paul. The interesting thing is that Festus agreed to send Paul to Caesar, but he had no idea what to send him with. What am I going to charge him with? I can't send him to trial without charges. I don't have any charges. So I'm going to have King Agrippa listen in, and he'll help me write the letter, help me write the charges. He's a more seasoned diplomat. He'll figure this thing out. And then B, Agrippa agreed to hear from Paul directly in order to help Festus, and that's where we stopped. So we don't have what Paul says. We're going to talk about that next week. That's a, another fairly long narrative. It'll take the rest of the chapter, and so we'll hear about that. But it's, it's going to be interesting what Paul has to say. So the narrative continues over a two-year period of time. There was Felix, and there was Festus, and then Agrippa steps in, and he's part of the mix now. All this time, Paul is in prison, all this time, the Jews can't seem to get over the fact that Paul's still alive. They're, 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 you know, you'd think that, oh, he's in prison, we can quit worrying about him. But no, they, they worried about him the whole time. As soon as a new guy came to power, they were right there saying, hey, we still, we still want Paul to be executed. We're still going to try to make this happen. So this is, this is the narrative that we read. On the other side of your notes, this is what I want to talk about. For these two plus years, we know what Paul was doing. We know what Rome was doing, in particular Festus and Felix, and what the Jews were doing, but what was God doing? And even though I said we know, we're going to talk about, we're going to review, we're going to make sure we know what Paul, the Romans, and the Jews were doing. So what was Paul doing? Well, A, in your notes, Paul was in custody. He was being ministered to by his friends. They were caring for him, supplying his needs, uh, probably meeting his spiritual needs, his emotional needs, and his physical needs. They were ministering to him, and we should never discount that kind of ministering. And he was ministering back to them. So they were ministering to him. He was ministering to them. I'm guessing maybe he wrote some letters. I'm guessing he had some, some good conversations. Uh, we're not told that at this point in time. But we know that interaction is taking place with his friends. B, 
speculation here. I want to tell you right up front, this is speculation, but I I'm, feel strongly enough about it that I'll include it in the sermon. So B, Paul is defining, defining, and refining. Paul is defining and refining his testimony and gospel message that God had promised he would deliver in Rome. So what would a, an evangelist, what would a teacher do in custody when he's been promised he'll get to share Christ and teach in Rome? He would be preparing that sermon. He'd be preparing that message. He'd be preparing, how do I want to talk to the Romans when I get there? How am I going to share my testimony most effectively? How am I going to put the words in the gospel message so that it makes sense to them? So I think there was a lot of that going on. Maybe that was what some of the conversations were with his friends. But remember, back two sermons ago, God promised him that he would testify in Rome just like he had testified in Jerusalem. So he's going to have that opportunity. And then see what was Paul doing he was sharing the gospel and praying for those around him. I'm going to jump ahead and I'm going to read you verse 29 of, of chapter 26. And this is Paul talking and Paul replied. This is at the end after he's spoken to Agrippa. And Agrippa basically says, do you think that in such a short time you're going to persuade me to become a Christian? This is Paul's response. Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Paul says, yeah, you Agrippa, you Felix, your wives, all the dignitaries that showed up, all the important business people that showed up, I, I'm, I'm praying for you and all of them that they'll be saved. And, and I don't think that attitude was a new attitude. I think it was the same attitude that he had all the time. In the very least, we know that he spoke to Felix and Drusilla over these two years about the gospel, and they would have had attendants, they would have had soldiers, they would have had their own set of important people around who wanted to be a part of the court. So he was sharing the gospel. So what was Paul doing? Paul was doing what Paul has always done. Paul is being Paul. He's ministering. He's accepting other people ministering to him. He's working on his testimony and his message, and he's sharing the gospel and praying for those around him. So that's what Paul has been doing for two years. What have the Romans been doing? Talking about Felix and Festus mainly. They've been playing politics. They've been playing politics, which is exactly what you'd think a Roman politician would be doing. Felix was seeking a bribe. He was also seeking favor with the Jews. Festus was seeking favor with the Jews. They made decisions based on how the Jews would respond, how it's going to move them into a favorable, favorable position among those that are ruling, and then Felix was seeking the payoff. So they were just playing politics. No surprise there. The Jews... The Jews were maintaining their hatred of Paul, and they were marinating in their murderous desires. Notice the very first thing they do is not say, Hey, Festus, why don't you condemn Paul? They said, Hey, Festus, why don't you bring Paul back to Jerusalem? And, and on the way, you know, in their mind, things will be taken care of. We don't need another trial. We just need an ambush. They, they've never stopped trying to get rid of Paul. They probably came to Felix several times before Festus showed up. They probably came and, and, and sought Paul's uh, demise, but it never happened. So they're maintaining their hatred, they're marinating in their murderous desires. And then B, again, speculation, I'm just guessing, 
They're probably trying to figure out why the way didn't fade out of existence with Paul gone. Why, when we take out their leader, are, are they not, is it not fading away? Why are Gentiles still becoming saved? Why are Jews still becoming saved? So that question had to be playing in their mind, and, and that question would have stimulated their thoughts that if we, if we could just kill this guy, then everything will go away. Prison's not enough. He needs to die. So that's Paul. That's the Romans. That's the Jews. What's God doing? This is the important part. What's God doing? Well, God was giving three high-ranking Roman officials a chance to repent and be saved. And, and you know, you say that, and you go, oh, okay, I, saw, I heard that. Your thoughts should be, doesn't that sound just like God? Doesn't it sound just like God to make sure everyone in the room gets to hear the gospel? Doesn't it sound just like God to show himself to everyone there? Festus, Felix, and Agrippa, and their wives, and their friends, and the dignitaries around them, they all heard the gospel. Felix heard it several times, and, and, and Paul was praying for them. So God gave these leaders a chance to be saved. B, God was giving the Jews in Jerusalem a chance to repent and be saved. Or you might say, he was giving the Jews in Jerusalem time to repent and be saved. And more than likely, some of them did. More than likely, some of the very people who were trying to kill Paul in the beginning had, had received Christ and were no longer doing that. Maybe others joined in the ranks who hadn't been involved in the beginning, but God gave them time. Remember, God was always reaching out to the Jews. Paul was always reaching out to the Jews. So God is, is providing opportunity and time for people to be saved. C, God is allowing many people who would not otherwise be exposed to Paul and his preaching to hear the gospel. Talking about the guards, the servants, the friends, the dignitaries, the out-of-town guests who, who said, yeah, I'd like to hear Paul. It's, I hear it's a good time. So many people who would not have contact with Paul otherwise were able to hear the gospel. And who knows if any responded and, and took it back home with them. So a lot of gospel stuff God's doing here, a lot of people hearing the gospel, being exposed to Paul, all this kind of stuff. Then D, God is preparing the timing and circumstances of Paul's visit to Rome. It wasn't, it wasn't um, Felix who decided Paul needed to stay in custody for two years. And, and it wasn't Festus who decided it was time to go. It was God who brought Felix in. And it was God who brought Festus in. It was God who allowed the Jews to come forward again. It was God orchestrating these series of events, putting all these circumstances in place so that Paul would, would wind up in Rome at the perfect time to do what God wanted him to do. We don't necessarily know what was going on in Rome that would have been bad timing. We don't know what was going on with Paul that, that needed to be accomplished. We don't know all the details. But we know because God is sovereign and because his plans have never been thwarted in the past that this timing issue is of God. So God's preparing. And then one more that's not in your notes. I added it this morning. E, if you want to fill it in. God is protecting Paul from the Jews who want him dead. God is protecting Paul. These Jews, remember, after two years, when a new leader comes in, immediately talk to the new leader and say, hey, we want Paul dead. We think he should be executed. And they even tried to manipulate a series of events so that they could do it themselves. So during that two years, they never quit. If 
Felix had let Paul go. Felix, he said, I, you know, there's no reason to, to hold him. Uh, I've heard from him a couple times now. He hasn't said anything wrong. Uh, I, I'm going to release him. And release Paul, these people would have tried to kill him again. But because God used Felix's desire for a, for a bribe and his interest in hearing Paul, maybe the entertainment that was going on there, he stayed in, stayed in jail. And now, because of Festus, he's moving towards a um, trip to Rome under Roman guard. Will he be safe? So one big aspect of all this is that, that God was actually protecting Paul. Now, a lot of people probably looked at this and said, oh, this isn't good. Paul's in prison. How could this be good? And God's going, it's exactly, exactly where I want him to be. He's going to stay there for two years, and then we're going to move on from there. You know, we read in other places that there were people, Christians, there were church leaders, there were Paul's enemies, in fact, uh, that were saying things like, well, you know, if Paul was really from God, he wouldn't be in prison. People don't go to prison for doing what God wants them to do. So that's proof that Paul is a false teacher and a false prophet, and we shouldn't listen to Paul. That was one of the messages being spread. And, and God even protected him from that. So the application, three things, and we're going to start with, with Paul, and we're going to move to ourselves. Application, Paul's, or excuse me, God's promise to Paul, from Acts 23, you will get to testify in Rome, God's promise to Paul and God's past faithfulness to Paul gave Paul the strength, patience, and perseverance to carry on for two years in Roman custody with no visible progress being made. Every, every time he was called in to Felix uh, to speak, maybe he thought today a decision will be made. Today something will be done. It, it never was. Maybe when Festus finally got there, he thought, okay, here's the thing, here's what's going to happen, and he had to go through the, the, the questioning and the trial and, and defend himself all over again. It, it would easily look like nothing's happening. For his friends, too, they would have looked and said, nothing's happening, we're just in this big waiting time. And I'm sure you've been in a period of time where it seems like all you're doing is waiting. All you're doing is saying, God, is there an answer today? Is there an answer tomorrow? When are you going to speak to me? When are you going to provide this? When are you going to solve this problem? And Paul could look back at the promise, because God gave him a specific promise, but he could also look back at past faithfulness. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. The best evidence of what God will do in your life is what God has already done in your life. We look forward with confidence because we look back with remembrance. I know what God has done. He has always been faithful. He has always come through. His timing, His ways, His goals, but He's always come through. So I can look forward knowing the same thing. And that had to be what Paul was doing. I know God has, God has got me to this point. He's not going to stop until His promise is fulfilled, at least. So I'm going to keep doing what God's called me to do. Number two, what may have seemed like a bad thing or felt like a bad thing, his incarceration, may have been the very thing that saved Paul's life as the Jews pursued his murder. It, it, I believe it was the very thing. It's what God used to keep him safe until he was going to take him to Rome. So number three, for us, as we embrace God's promises, and they're all through Scripture, there's many promises that are for us just as much as for anyone else, if we embrace God's promises, 
and reflect on his faithfulness or remember his faithfulness, as we embrace God's promises and reflect on his faithfulness, we too can live through difficult times knowing that God is at work in our life for our good and his glory. So I'm going to embrace the promises. The very least I know, God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So I'm never on my own. At the very least I know that, that God is preparing a place for me. And, and one day he's going to come back and receive me unto his own. So no matter how bad it gets here, I have eternity to look forward to. The very least I know that, that nothing, nothing created, nothing spiritual, nothing demonic, nothing in all of creation can separate me from God, so I'm never going to be separated. I have these promises. I can embrace these promises. I can claim these, preach them to myself, know they're there, know they, they, uh, I'm qualified, and I can move forward on the promises, and then I can reflect on the past. Last time I felt like there was no hope. What happened? Last time I was in need, what happened? Last time I prayed to God to help me make a decision, what happened? How has God changed me over the years? Who did I used to be compared to who I am now? So I have his promises, and I have his past faithfulness, so I can look ahead knowing that God is at work. I don't have to wish God is working or hope it turns out that God was working. I can know that he's at work, so I can march forward Knowing that God is working. Knowing that his promises are true. I, I don't have to have doubt. I don't have to have fear. And then I understand that it's always for my good and his glory. So this is the attitude of a faithful believer. It's the attitude of a faithful believer. As a faithful believer, we embrace the promises. We remember what God has done in the past. And we move forward knowing that he hasn't changed. And he's going to do the same kinds of things in our future. And it will bring him glory, and it will be the best thing for me. Even if it hurts along the way. Even if it hurts along the way. So, a lot of reminders in today's passage. And then this just seemed to come out. This seemed to be the thing that came out that I wanted to talk about today. God's promises and his faithfulness. The things that we need to remember and think about so that we can move forward with confidence. The attitude of a faithful believer. Let's pray. Father, help us to have the attitude of a faithful believer. Remind us continually. Holy Spirit, remind us of the things that we've learned and the things that we've discussed and, and the ways you've come through and, and the character that you've shown us, the love you've shown us, e even being our Savior. Remind us of these things so that, that we can have confidence in what you're going to do in our future. Remind us of the promises that you've you've given us that have never fallen short and never will. And then help us to look forward to know that, that your glory is what's best for us. And that these two things will happen and we will, we will be better off. Even if it hurts along the way, even if it kills us before it's over, we will immediately be in your presence and, and it will be worth it and it will be fixed and made new. So help us to have that attitude of faithfulness so that we can serve you the best we can give you the most glory and accomplish your will be with us as we go through the week and remind us of these things it's in jesus name that i pray amen